Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Paul, start us off. Okay, not good. Anyway, this is Mornings with Carmen. Thank you for joining us for hour number two. And uh, hopefully, Carmen, you're getting yourself together there. Uh, you shouldn't eat that Reuben oh, like that. Gosh, you shouldn't have a Reuben between the hours no. of the show. Whew. I don't know what happened. I started talking and all of a sudden, yeah, <clears throat> my throat said, no, we're not We're not talking. Whew. Okay, good morning. Good morning. It is hour two. And it is, well, it might just be called Reuben Day. It's actually St. Patrick's Day, the 17th of March, 2023. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Get a sip of water if necessary. Okay, St. Patrick's Day. I thought it would be uh, fun to, um, well, mention a few things about St. Patrick so that you would know why we're even talking about him today. And so this is the traditional date marking the death of St. Patrick in 461. So it might seem like an odd time um, to celebrate because we're in the middle of Lent, which raises the issue that today is a Friday during Lent. And you say to yourself, why should that concern us? Well, so a lot of, um, <clears throat> a lot of folks who celebrate St. Patrick's Day would like to do so with the use of corned beef as a part of the conversation, uh, like in a Reuben sandwich or, you know, or on a plate with some cabbage. Here's the challenge. It's a Friday during Lent. And so many of the people who might be interested in St. Patrick's Day because they are Catholic are also feeling constricted because on Fridays during Lent, they are prohibited from eating what? Meat. All right. So, You'll be glad to know uh, that Catholic dioceses across the country, and and actually in some places around the world, but I think this is most particularly related to uh, people here in the United States of America because the corned beef thing is, as Paul noted during the first hour, uh, an outgrowth of the New York thing. So Catholic dioceses, starting in New York, New York and New Jersey, but they've now been joined by Catholic dioceses uh, across Texas and now... Um, 80 dioceses across the country have offered a uh, special dispensation today allowing parishioners to eat meat on St. Patrick's Day. So a survey of the National Catholic Register newspaper found that of the 137 dioceses that responded to the question, 105 are offering some type of relief. 80 say straight dispensation, no problem, eat meat, it's okay. So reading uh, directly from the uh, uh, the dispensation offered by the Diocese of Dallas, uh, here you go. I hereby decree that on Friday, March 17, 2023, all Catholics of the Diocese of Dallas, no matter where they may be, 
and all other Catholics actually present in the diocese on that day are dispensed from the obligation to abstain from meat, says the um, Bishop of Dallas. So basically, if that's your home um, diocese, you're free to eat meat. Or if you are from somewhere else and you happen to be in their diocese on this day, you can eat meat. And then, and those are sort of the dispensations that are operating around the country. Uh, there are other dioceses that are saying, okay, you're going to have to substitute another penance if you plan to eat meat on Friday. So that's called a commutation. It's not a straight dispensation, but a commutation. Um, and then there are other dioceses, 32 uh, in terms of who responded to this question, who say, nope, nope, the rule stands, the requirement stands, no meat on Friday during Lent. So uh, there you go. That might be an interesting conversation um, to have where you are with those you love. Uh, here, um, here is St. Patrick's breastplate prayer. So um, in, in every other way that people are going to, um, quote unquote, celebrate St. Patrick's Day today, green rivers, pinching, shamrocks, parades, leprechauns, all of that aside for a moment. What if we were to actually honor the life and ministry of this wonderful Christian person by pondering his prayer, his prayer life, um, on his breastplate, um, he had inscribed, I arise today through a mighty strength, the invocation of the Trinity, through belief in all the threeness, through confession of the oneness of the creator of creation. I arise today through the strength of Christ's birth and his baptism, through the strength of his crucifixion and his burial, through the strength of his resurrection with his ascension, through the strength of his descent for the judgment of doom. I arise today through the strength of the love of cherubim, in the obedience of angels, in the service of archangels, in the hope of resurrection to meet with reward, in the prayers of patriarchs, in the predictions of prophets, in the preaching of apostles, in the faith of confessors, in the innocence of, of the holy ones, in the deeds of righteous men. I arise today through the strength of heaven. In the light of the sun, the radiance of the moon, the splendor of fire, the speed of lightning, the swiftness of wind, the depth of the sea, the stability of the earth, and the firmness of the rock upon which I stand. I arise today through God's strength to pilot me, God's might to uphold me, God's wisdom to guide me, God's eye to look before me, God's ear to hear me, God's word to speak for me, God's hand to guard me, God's shield to protect me, God's host to save me, from snares of devils and temptations of vices, from everyone who shall wish me ill afar and near. And I summon today all these powers between me and those evils against every cruel and merciless power that may oppose my body and soul, against incan incantations of false prophets, black laws of pag pagandom, false laws of heretics, the craft of idolatry, spells of witches and smiths and wizards, against every knowledge that corrupts man's body and soul, Christ to shield me today, against poison, against burning, against drowning, against wounding, so that there may come to me an abundance of reward. Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ in my, on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ when I arise, Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me, Christ in every eye that sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me, I arise today through a mighty strength, the invocation of the Trinity, 
through belief in the threeness and confession of the oneness of the creator of creation. All for Christ. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. Paul AC is joining us for Focus on the Family's Plugged In. Good morning, Paul. Good morning, Carmen. How are you? I, I am well. I am well. Um, that was a your... lovely prayer. I I thought that that was fantastic. St. Patrick's thought on his breastplate was just fantastic. What a great way to start the day. Yeah. What what is on what is on my breastplate as I get out there into the yeah. world? Like that's a good 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 question and thought. Um, you know, and it was inscribed on the side that he could read it. Like I think that's important to know as oh, well. Oh yeah, like, that's you're holding, great. You're holding your breastplate and you're looking at your prayer. Like. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's very cool. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's uh, let's do this. Let's start with reviews um, because there are two that we're going to cover today. Shazam! Fury of the Gods. Shazam! Fury of the Gods. Yes, indeed. This is going to be the big movie out in, in theaters this weekend for sure. Uh, it's a DC superhero movie. Uh, those always make three bazillion dollars whether they deserve to or not. Um, this was an interesting movie for me because the, the original Shazam, which came out in 2019, I really enjoyed. It had a, a some fantastic messages about family and about courage, of course, and sacrifice. And you could see this, this character sort of growing into his role as a superhero. Uh, this this new Shazam, Shazam Fury of the Gods, still has all those great messages. It talks about family a lot. It talks about adoption in some ways. And again, you see this growth of these people come into their roles. All, these days, it's not just Shazam. The entire extended family that 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 he is a part of uh, has sort of gotten these superpowers. And so they're all fighting crime together. So you see them grow in their roles as this movie goes on. But the thing is, there are some issues that come along with this and some some problems that come along with this, especially for folks who are 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 a little bit wary of hearing some messages that run counter to their own faith. Right. Mm-hmm. Theory of the gods. Now, this is a it, you, you can tell just from the title that you're dealing with uh, with some pagan gods that that come around. So you're going to be seeing a lot of a lot of references to Greek mythology and all that kind of stuff. Now, of course, the movie is not encouraging us to to all switch over to classical paganism, but you do have some of these muddied elements of spirituality that can be a little bit difficult for for families to navigate. Um, in addition to that, you have you have a gay character who comes out. Uh, there are, there's a ton of violence as you would expect in a superhero movie, uh, including one really disturbing scene where, where someone actually steps off a building willingly and, and falls to his death. Uh, and then of course you have the swearing, you know, there's, there's always a little bit of a language quotient that comes with these superhero movies these days too. So before flying into theaters, this is one you might want to just push pause on, look at the review, see if it's right for your family, because there's definitely some extra issues issues here that families would need to navigate. I think that's helpful um, to know um, and also helpful to prepare ourselves for conversation about like, right. Um, it's, it's, everybody's going to see it or a lot of people are going to see it. And so how do mm-hmm. we prepare ourselves to have those conversations about muddied spirituality or sexuality or violence or, um, or even suicide? Like how do we have those conversations um, with those who have seen the movie? I think that's really mm-hmm. helpful. Um, mm-hmm. Read us in um, quickly on the magician's elephant. 
So if families are looking for a for a really nice alternative to Shazam, that might be the one. Uh, the Magician's Elephant is streaming now on Netflix. It's based on a 2009 book. Uh, and essentially what you have is this kid who believes that he's an orphan. He uh, he is He's being raised by this old soldier who's told him that his mother and his sister died. Uh, but a fortune teller comes by and tells Peter that actually his sister is still alive. Now, Peter wonders what's going on with that and wants to know how to find his sister. So when he asks the fortune teller, the fortune teller says, follow the elephant. Now, this is kind of key because no one in this particular world believes that elephants even exist until one falls literally from the sky onto a stage and into town. And that's sort of where the story takes off. Uh, mm. Now, obviously, you're going to deal with magicians. You're going to be dealing with fortune tellers. So if you have a sensitivity to that in your family, this is still one you might want to avoid. But those are the big problems in, in this one. Besides that, this PG movie is super clean. You don't have a lot of problems. And you have this beautiful message of, of what it means to hope, what it means to believe, what it means to, to, to follow something that other people might find a little bit crazy. And in this increasingly secular society, I think a lot of Christians can relate to that. Yeah, it's good. It's very, very, very helpful. All right, let's take a very brief break. When we come back, let's um, let's talk about a few culture headlines. We're talking with Paul Acey from Focus on the Families, Plugged In. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. When Irish eyes are smiling. Continuing our conversation with Paul Acey from Focus on the Family's Plugged In. Um, Paul, let's talk about uh, a couple of culture headlines today, um, things that are going on in the culture. Um, you know that my effort to um, <clears throat> sometimes pronounce people's names uh, when I don't know them um, is 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 a challenge. So I'm going with Rain Wilson. Um, and what uh, what is Rain Wilson um, calling out? Uh, who, who is Rain Wilson, and what is he calling out? He is calling out some anti-Christian bias. What he sees is anti-Christian bias in the entertainment industry. Now, this is pretty interesting because because Rain Wilson, who most people remember as Dwight from The Office, uh, he is behind. Oh, uh, see, they should have just said that. <laughs> they should have just said Dwight from The Office. Dwight from out The Office. He calls it out. Yeah, but he is a very, very thoughtful guy. He doesn't, you know, he's not Christian. So it's it's pretty interesting to hear him take on Hollywood and say, you know what? There is an anti-Christian bias in Hollywood. And, and mainly he's pointing to The Last of Us, which is on HBO, uh, a, a character who uh, this Bible reading preacher is trotted out in the in the show. And of course, he becomes a super duper bad villain. Um, and and he sees that 
all the time. Um, I think it's kind of interesting that he notices that because, of course, in the field that I'm in, you do see some of that that anti-Christian bias slip in, I think, a little bit. It's it's sort of like a, a it's surprisingly uh, how frequently that 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 is used where where people of faith become these caricatures for uh, for rigidity or for intolerance or whatnot. Uh, and, and it's to me, it feels like just lazy writing. And I'm really glad that that Rain Wilson sort of agrees with me on that. Was there a Christian character on The Office? Yeah, la, 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 you I'm boy, just like, right. A- no, I mean, like, right. I mean, like, is there like a representative Christian character? I don't I don't know. I mean, I'm not I'm I'm I was trying to yeah. think um, because I'm- because Angela is asked a question once about the she's asked the book on the desert island question. And she mm-hmm. says she says the Bible and the purpose driven life. And then she says she would also like to have a copy of um, Dan, <laughs> Dan Brown's Da Vinci Code so that she could use it for fuel. <laughs> so I feel like like somewhere in there, we're supposed to understand that Angela is some kind of Christian. Mm-hmm. So I'm just, I, I, I just I guess I just imagine that yeah. anybody who has spent so much time portraying a character and in a, um, it, you know, in an environment like the quote unquote office, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's, even the writing on their own show has over time affected them um, in terms of their perception of how people are portrayed. Sure, sure. I think that's absolutely right. And and to to be fair, you know, I do think that that that. That Wilson has a point in what he says, but if you look closely, you can see some more nuanced portrayals of people of faith. Now, they're not always incredibly positive, but they are they are a little bit more nuanced. I think that that right after Wilson made his remark, uh, Cheryl Lee Ralph actually responded. She she is one of the stars of of Abbott Elementary, and she talks about her own character where where she has she is a Bible reading teacher. Uh, there's, so you do have these elements here and there where you can find some, some good examples of complex characters that are written as Christian. And, and so it's, it's not an all or nothing thing, but I do think that we're seeing more and more anti-Christian bias in a way in the, in the movies and TV shows that we're watching. Mm, That's really helpful. Um, all right. So um, you've got a a piece on TikTok posted at PluggedIn.com. Um, talk with us a little bit about the proposed filter. Yes. So the glamour filter, it's called the bold glamour filter. It's one of the biggest rages that is hitting TikTok right now. Um, you know, filters are nothing new. We've seen these across social media for a long, long time. The difference with with this particular filter is that it's really good. It it takes your face and it can it can literally transform you into someone who is you and yet not you. Uh, Emily Chow, who uh, who you're pretty familiar with, I know you've you've read some of her blogs. She uh, mm-hmm. she actually tried the glamour filter on herself. Um, and she noticed that, you know, not only does it give her a whole bunch of makeup, but it sort of 
thinned her nose, it plumped her lips, it changed her bone structure slightly. So she still looks like herself, uh, but a very different version of herself. And what she was most upset about is that it took away her freckles. Mm-hmm. She she has a lot of freckles and it just eliminated it. Um, Bob Hoos, who actually wrote the blog, he uh, he talked a little bit about how this in some ways is a throwback to what culture has been trying to get away from for a long time, which is this standard sense of beauty. What does it mean to be beautiful? And for, you know, decades, it was sort of determined by magazines and 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 celebrities who had the perfect bone structure or whatnot. It made beauty into sort of this homogenous thing where everybody who was beautiful sort of looked alike. We've been trying to move away from that. And I think it's healthy to move away from that as a culture uh, to, to say that you can be beautiful in a lot of different ways. This particular filter moves back into that direction of, no, if you want to be beautiful, you have to look like this. And that seems to me, and it, and I think a lot of experts agree, that seems to be a problem. Yeah, it would be helpful if, you know, some very famous, notable, notably beautiful women would um, step forward and actually show their unmade up, unfiltered skin mm-hmm. um, and faces um, yeah. in the worst in the worst possible light, like right yeah. in, in bad in literally bad light so yeah. that um, everybody else, frankly, would feel better about ourselves. Yeah. Well, one of the things I mean, I can't, struck me- you know, I'm 50 yeah. something. My skin's a wreck. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think that there is there's a beauty in in that difference in being mm-hmm. able to I, honestly I'm I'm 50 something too. I'm starting to show a, a lot of age and I was never particularly good looking to begin with. But I really do think that there's there's a detractiveness of the wrinkles of you know the the laugh lines. I, I when I see people who who try to to wipe those away from your face it, in some ways it, it feels like it's demeaning the beauty of getting older and i think there is a beauty in getting older honestly um just just one more point i wanted to bring up i know we're not talking about the oscars they're they're way in the the rearview mirror but one of the most striking things that i found about the oscar ceremony was when lady gaga she sang one of the nominated songs she was out there uh sans makeup almost completely unplugged. And it was one of the most touching moments in that entire ceremony. This was the mm. woman who used to go to these award shows dressed in meat dresses, right? She mm-hmm. would never mm-hmm. go out. She was always this caricature. And you see her on stage being real, being honest. Uh, I found that to be, to to use the word, Refreshing. beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. I love that. Paul AC, thank you um, so much. We appreciate it. You guys can check out what we've talked about today and so much more at pluggedin.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge. This is Faith Radio. When friends in this morning, both talent and gay, a bold little preacher went out on his way. It's hard to um, even quantify how radically our lives have changed, um, particularly after the introduction of the iPhone in in 2007. But talk about it, we must. And so let's talk about technology. How is technology not only shaping your life and your relationships, but how is technology shaping your relationship with Jesus? 
We're going to talk about the digital public square, Christian ethics in a technological society. Jason Thacker joins us next. Jason Thacker is joining us now. Um, Jason serves as the Chair of Research and Technology, Ethics, and Director of the Research Institute at the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention. He is the author of several books, um, Following Jesus in the Digital Age, um, The Age of AI, Artificial Intelligence, and the Future of Humanity. Today, he joins us um, with The Digital Public Square, his latest offering in the conversation on Christian ethics in a technological society. You can connect with Jason and all he's working on at jasonthacker.com. Jason, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Hey, morning, Carmen. How are you doing? I'm, I am well. I am well. Thank you. Good. Um, two main things I'm hoping we can unpack together. First, like, how is technology actually shaping our walk with Christ? Yeah. Um, and then how can Christians think more wisely, maybe, about the use of social media? Yeah. So we'll, I mean, I we'll think, jump in. Let's do the let's let's do the first one first. How how is technology like actually shaping our walk with Christ? I think that's actually one of the most important questions. Is we think through a lot of the kind of pressing issues of social media and digital technologies, and even kind of advances like artificial intelligence and Chat GPT and other systems. Often we start to address a lot of the symptoms and we want a checklist of four or five different ways we can kind of write our relationship with technology or to think wisely about technology. And that's good and helpful. But one of the things that we tried to do in this book, The Digital Public Square, is to step back from a lot of the rancor of the day and a lot of the the symptoms of the day that we see that feel very pressing and to ask hard questions about what is technology. And that's kind of the first chapter that I have in the book is talking about the nature of technology and how it's forming and shaping us. Because we often assume that technology is just a tool. It's just something we use. We can use it for good or we can use it for bad. So it's essentially neutral. But in reality is all of technology has certain values. It has certain ways it encourages and is even designed for us to use it. And that's deeply shaping how we see ourselves, how we see God, how we see the world around us. And I think that's one of the things is Christians seek to cultivate wisdom for this new digital age, this new technological society that we live in. We need to ask those hard questions because it kind of reminds me of Romans uh, 12, 12, 2, where Paul says, do not be conformed to this world. He's assuming we are being conformed. And one of the things I try to do in this book and others is to say that actually one of the ways that you're being conformed and even discipled today is actually through the use of technology and uh, specifically social media. And that's shaping our perspective of issues of the public square and how we engage with our faith as Christians in all aspects of our life. Um, maybe it would be helpful for me to just sit for a minute and think of the ways that I have conformed my behavior um, at so many points in the in the day um, to what my what technology tells me I should be doing or how I should be doing it yeah. um, and how that's deforming my um, my practices. How does that deform my spending time in the word? I mean, if I've yeah. traded my physical Bible for um, you know, scrolling my phone, um, that's deforming me. Um, that's, you know, that's not me being transformed by the power of God's word. That is me conforming to uh, something in the culture. Is that like an example of what we're talking about? 
Yeah, I mean, one of the first things I think for most of us, unfortunately, is we wake up often with our cell phones. That's often kind of an alarm. And before our feet hit the ground or maybe even while we're kind of getting up and making our coffee or using the restroom or something like that, we're already scrolling on our phone. It's often the very first thing we see. We feel like we're missing something. We we expect there to be all these things that we missed while we were over, uh, while we were sleeping. And reality is that not a lot happened. Most of our friends, most of our family, most of our society was asleep as well, or hopefully was asleep. Um, and the reality is we've been kind of conditioned for the new. We're always seeking more information, you know, to connect with others, to know what's going on. To Most of us, even during a radio broadcast like this, might have a breaking news alert on our phone. And we're constantly vying for our attention. And one way that's encouraged is we live in an attention economy. Um, a lot of these publishers, a lot of these apps, a lot of these social media companies want you to spend as much time as possible on these devices. And so from sunup to sundown, the first thing we see in the morning, often to the very last thing we see at night, we are inundated and surrounded by information. Um, and that's not always good for us. It can be good. I'm very pro-technology. I love technology. It's very convenient. It brings in a lot of uh, benefits to our life, but it also is deeply forming and shaping us and our perspective. And one of the things I did in that book, Following Jesus in a Digital Age that you mentioned, was say that technology is discipling you. It's shaping your perception mm -hmm. of God, ourselves, and the world around us. And in three distinct ways, how we understand the very nature of truth in an age of misinformation and conspiracy theories. One of the ways that we understand our responsibility as believers as we seek to apply our faith to the pressing issues of the public square, as well as how we see our identity and what does it mean to be human, but what does it mean to be a Christian and have our identity in Christ and be identified with a local body of believers. Often we trade uh, those identity, our true identity for these kind of faux identities online of being influencers or being part of the conversation or seeking to validate ourselves by being the right type of person saying just the right thing, um, just the moment some breaking news or something like that happens. And so our identity is even being shaped and formed by technology. And I think that's one of the things that we try to do in this digital public square volume is to step back, ask some of those hard questions and then say, what does it look like to live an authentic Christian faith in an age of content moderation and free speech issues and religious freedom issues and so many questions about the nature of the public square today. And that's what we tried to hope, what we hopefully did in this collection of essays. Yeah, the two um, the two books really are, um, I, I think, essential. Like, so the, the following Jesus in the digital age feels like a, a, a discipleship level book that I yeah. really need to engage with um, first. Uh, and then, um, I mean, I loved the age of, uh, of AI because I, I like future conversations, but grounding us in the present and talking about the, the challenges that we are facing in real time right now um, in the digital public square. I mean, even the fact that it exists and how we talk about it and what it is or what it isn't. Um, and then how, as Christians, we navigate that, not just individually, but, you know, together as we the people. That's what uh, Jason addresses in this book, The Digital Public Square. So if you're looking for um, a book that really is going to help you engage at a pers deeply personal level, following Jesus in the digital age, if you're ready to engage um, the larger, more systemic or public questions um, related to how, as Christians, 
we think about not only our use of social media, but how we engage as Christians in the digital public square today. Um, those uh, issues are addressed in this volume, The Digital Public Square. Christian Ethics in a Technological Society. More with Jason Thacker in just a moment. How are you preparing for the reality of Jesus's last days, his passion, Holy Week, the Last Supper, the Garden of Gethsemane, Judas's betrayal, Peter's denials, Jesus being stripped and humiliated by soldiers and falsely accused by the Jews and subjected to mock trials and ultimately crucified? How are you planning to give those events in Jesus's life the attention they deserve? That's what the season of Lent is all about. The 40 days prior to Easter are set aside to prepare ourselves to face the reality of the cross and, yes, ultimately to celebrate the reality of the empty tomb. I invite you to join us in reading through the Bible together during Lent. The study will provide a way for you to intentionally engage each day with the Word of God. You can sign up today at MyFaithRadio.com as we read through the Bible together this Lent. Jason Jason Thacker brings us uh, today the Digital Public Square, Christian Ethics in a Technological Society. There are many contributors to this work. Um, many of them, your their names you will recognize. Some of them might be new to you. Um, I commend each and every one. Jason, as we as we jump in really to the content of what you're unpacking here, you know, you lay a, you lay a foundation, you talk about the foundational issues, and then you talk about some of the issues. Um, that's where we get into religious freedom, uh, free expe- expression conversations, um, and content moderation and those kinds of things. Love to Love to delve into a few of those with you. But then there's this um, interesting part three, right? There's this intentionality of having this applied in the life of a believing community. Um, Talk about, you know, like why this book really pushes toward the church as a place where we not only need to have this conversation, but where we need to enter into this conversation together. Yeah, this volume was intentionally designed from the outset to have kind of two purposes. Uh, First and foremost is to equip the local church. We are facing some very monumental challenges to our faith and what that looks like to live our faith out authentically in every aspect of our life, including the public square and including uh, before the role of the eyes of government. And as we think about what does free expression look like, what does religious freedom look like? Um, And one of the things we try to do in that is to equip the church, as you said, in kind of this third section of the book and two ways to talk about kind of the internal formative processes of technology and how it's shaping and forming us. Um, We talk about the way that technology is altering kind of our perception of truth and reality and our identity and a lot of the things that we talked about earlier. It's kind of an internal uh, kind of look at the church. And then we have another chapter by Keith Plummer that I think is really, really helpful. And Keith, what he does is kind of look outward. He looks at kind of the public witness of the church and how we manifest both truth and grace as uh, modeled in the person work of Jesus Christ and what that looks like in an increasingly pluralistic and diverse society society where we can authentically hold on to our faith. We are standing on uncompromising truth, but we're also engaging people with dignity and value and worth and seeing them um, as the way that God sees them, uh, seeing to model grace in every single aspect of the conversation as we engage in really pressing issues. That's what the second section does, actually, is kind of walking through a lot of the content moderation policies, a lot of these big kind of perennial issues of faith in the public square today, and seeking to bring an authentic kind of Christian ethical evaluation to these really important conversations. 
So I'll just make this observation. Uh, this book actually like feels like a conference on a topic. Like hmm. you could have platformed each of these people at a conference where they delivered this content and then, you know, we would have had to been furiously taking notes. But instead, mm -hmm. it's like we get the notes from all the conference speakers and collected them together. Anyway, that was kind of my experience of it. I'm like, this feels like going to a multi-day conference where I'm exposed to a number of really good thinkers, faithful people on a topic. Um, and yet I don't have to take furious notes. I can just use my highlighter. So mm -hmm. I just appreciated that and i don't know maybe it could be a conference as well even a digital one i just yeah. throw that out there you know creatively well, that is the first time i've uh, heard of uh kind of thought about it in that way and that's actually a really good way to think about it and one of the interesting things to note for readers um is and listeners sake is that uh, we don't always agree with one another. That's actually kind of mm -hmm. the fun part about something like this is we engage in a really in-depth conversation with one another. And it, we're not kind of providing kind of knee-jerk reactions or gut-level reactions to whatever the kind of flavor of the day is or whatever the big issue uh, that's kind of uh, on the Twitter sphere or whatever today is. We're actually kind of deep, deeping down to think really to slow down and to ask some hard questions and engage with one another. And that's actually kind of the beauty of there's some common themes that kind of come out through the volume, even if we see certain issues in slightly different ways. And I know I benefited as an editor of this volume and a contributor as well uh, from kind of the diversity of voices, kind of thinking about some of these big issues that challenged and provoked me to go a little bit deeper and to be a lot more thoughtful as I engage in the, these big issues at the Digital Public Square. All right, Jason, let's, um, let's dig into one of the chapters that you are the author of. Let's dig into chapter 10, Dangers in the Digital Public Square, Navigating Conspiracy Theories and Misinformation in a Post-Truth Age. There is not a person listening right now who hasn't wondered if something that they're reading is true, whether or not when they pass something else along on social media, it's going to come back to bite them as false um, or um, known someone who has absolutely uh, swallowed hook, line, and sinker a a conspiracy theory that I know is not true, but I don't even know how to tell somebody that what they're believing is not true because we've lost a grip on truth itself. Yeah. I mean, nobody thinks they're a conspiracy theorist. You think you're right. Uh, so you obviously wouldn't admit to being a conspiracy theorist in that sense. But I'll start with a little bit of a confession. Um, one of the things I was doing as I was working on this volume and writing some of these papers, um, I was actually given over to fake news and misinformation. I was sitting in the kitchen. I was supposed to be doing uh, dishes. Uh, my wife was feeding our kids. I say supposed to because um, I was looking at my phone and I saw something online and it kind of triggered me. I thought, oh man, this is crazy. I can't believe these people have given into this idea and it's crazy. And it was kind of over the top. And the reality was, is it was over the top and crazy. It wasn't actually true, but I believed it was. I shared that with my wife. She shared it with her parents. And the next thing you know, I'm actually a conspiracy theorist. Unknowingly, it wasn't something I ever intentionally sought out or did. But ever since that time, I started to think, do the things I see online, the paper or the articles I read, are they true? I don't really know. And there's this almost this culture of suspicion. But for a lot of listeners, when we say conspiracy theories or myths or disinformation, um, we kind of put our political hats on and we're like, well, they do that over there. It's all about them. And uh, that's not something that really affects us. Or, you know, a lot of things, a common refrain I hear is, well, that's a very politicized topic. You know, truth isn't malleable. Truth isn't what you decide. And I say yes and amen. 
And that's one of the things I try to do in this chapter is to say, yes, these terms have been abused and used often to uh, push down even certain historic Christian beliefs on the nature of marriage and sexuality and how God has created us in his very image. But we as Christians are people of truth. We follow the way, the truth, and the life uh, and the personal work of Jesus Christ. We are to be about truth in all aspects of our life. And one of the things I want to say is that it isn't just an out there problem or just for them over there, uh, whatever, who, whoever they are in your in your life. But reality is, is all of us are being deeply shaped and formed about our perception of truth and reality. And that's something that we played out a little bit more on the popular level in following Jesus in a digital age. This chapter is to kind of get into finer terms. What do we mean when we utilize these terms and how do we as Christians think about navigating a lot of these challenges of truth? In an age of my experience, my identity, my truth, my reality, it's always this kind of inward focus. My hope and call in this chapter is to push us outward to an outward reality of who God is, how he made us in his very image, and how he calls us to live in light of those truths. All right. You brought up uh, you brought up your people, your family. Um, you have girls or boys? Two boys. We have uh, okay. Hollis, who's uh, six, and Hoarder, who's four. All right. So six and four. So we're not like in a panic yet, right, about their social media exposure or use. Um, But I will tell you that a lot of people listening right now are in a fitted panic about Mm -hmm. social media and its power over and impact on um, girls and boys, but in, you know, really specifically girls in the culture today. Yeah. Um, Just wondering, Jason, if there's, you know, a resource that you're aware of that we could turn to on that topic. Yeah, so uh, obviously there's so much to unpack there, but one of the things I'd encourage you to do for parents especially, but even for teenagers who may be listening, uh, last month or two months ago in January, I had a little booklet called A Student's Guide to Social Media. It's a really short book. It's about 80 or 90 pages. It's a really easy read. It's designed for teenagers to help spark some of these conversations full of discussion questions to talk about the nature of technology, talk about TikTok and Instagram and how this is forming and shaping us, even uh, for teenagers and students. So it's called A Student's Guide to Social Media. Um, It's about 4 or $5. It's supposed to be really cheap and supposed to be very, very accessible. And I've heard a lot of uh, youth groups and student ministry starting to employ that, have a discipleship weekend to think through some of those pressing questions. And that was kind of the design behind all of these resources of the last year or so is to kind of hit people where they are, whether they're students or moms and dads or ministry leaders or academics or researchers who want to go a little bit deeper is to provide these different levels of resources to see how technology shaping and forming us and how we as Christians are to live in light of who God is and how he made us and how he's called us to live in light of those truths in our society today. Okay, that's fantastic. I'm um, I'm dropping that link in here. A Student's Guide to Social Media, um, yep. Jason Thacker, um, and you can, yeah, it's $4.99. So there you go. That's, uh, that is a good deal. Um, thank you, my brother. Really appreciate it, as always. Well, thank you. Yeah. The Digital Public Square, Christian Ethics in a Technological Society. That's specifically the book we've been discussing today. But again, if you want a personal level discipleship book on this topic, Jason's Following Jesus in the Digital Age, uh, there's just nothing better out there. And then also a student's guide to social media if you've got a student in your life who is looking for some um, good counsel on this topic. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is Faith Radio. May the road rise up to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. That is an Irish blessing. Um, 
today is a good day to be blessing um, blessing others and to be blessing God. Um, there are literally hundreds of um, of blessings out there and um, and things that give us opportunity today to bless one another. Um, but the Irish blessing is maybe the um, most iconic. May the road rise up to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. May the sun shine warm upon your face. The rains fall soft upon your fields. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the palm of his hand. Amen, amen, and amen. Have a great weekend and God bless. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.